Welcome to the Advertising Awards Almanac. This is a podcast to celebrate and uncover the stories behind the advertising work awarded this year and archived awards throughout the years. As the new year brings in a new award season, I thought it would be important to understand what is it that judges want to see when awarding work. So for our first episode, I felt it was only right that I should interview John Sintras, whose work, passion and eye for awards inspired me over the years. John began his career in 1982 at Leo Burnett's in Australia, moving on to Starcom Mediavest Group, where he rose to chairman and was responsible globally for their product and awards, becoming the most awarded network over multiple years. This experience led to John being a judge across a number of high-profile festivals, and a few years ago, he was inducted into the Media Federation of Australia's Hall of Fame, where he then moved to New York with IPG Media Brands. Recently, John is a managing partner at Decidium and Chief Growth Officer Alex, and a non-executive director for a number of disability charities. In this episode, John talks about his experience as an awards judge, what he looks for in an entry, and some of his favorite campaigns over the years. John, I I first became aware of your prowess for award-winning work from Starcom Australia back in 2010, 2011, when I worked in the London office And we were in awe of the success of your work, uh, which was having such great success locally and globally, picking up awards around the globe at Cannes and Festival of Media and so on. What was your secret back then? Um, Our secret back then was we we had repositioned ourselves. Well, I'll wind back. Uh, For me, the the great work has always been about, and this industry has always been about human insight and humans and what makes them tick and why do they do things. And that's all fascinating. And I've always been obsessed with, new things, innovation, thinking about things in a different way. So when you put those two things together, you know, they're sort of strong drivers for a culture of award-winning work in the first place. So that's sort of, you know, my personal drivers. They carried into what Starcom became as we relaunched and reinvented Starcom as the human experience agency. And that just gave us corporate global permission to obsess about humanity and work that has meaning and makes people feel something and sort of underpinned the the motivation to do great work. And then I suppose we just really took it seriously all the way through from getting people to understand why it was important because ultimately we are what we make and clients buy us for the work we make for them and the and the meaning it has the results it generates um, and to help them to really understand what is good work and what's ordinary work and what's just you know what's extraordinary work and once you start showing people what you mean by this is great this is okay and what people expect and this is completely unacceptable then people start to go oh okay and a i understand what the difference is i'm starting to I'm starting to understand it's important to us to move up the continuum towards great work and then see how do I do that? What do I need to do to start improving the work in the first place? And then once we've done great work, how do we tell that story and how do we merchandise it in the right way so that people understand it, judges get it, um, you know, and, and it gets the recognition it deserves. So that's probably a bit of a long answer, but that's the that's sort of the short answer as to how it started. And then it's itself. And then once you start winning and you start getting recognised, people want more of it and it's sort of, um, it's like the inspiration loop keeps turning and and it keeps feeding itself. And, and I guess that success that you had there and, and, and how you delivered it and 
how you thought about it and how important it became in the business. I mean, your role then became more of a global role from a global experience product, meaning that you got to see and feel the best work around the network. And and I remember that you created a framework yeah. that captured what award-winning work needed to have all those elements. Would, would, would you mind just talking us through that for people that, that may not be aware? Yeah, sure. We, the, the way that happened was um, I think so many of the agency um, uh, infrastructures back then were about putting lipstick on the pig, if you want to use that phrase. It was like, oh, well, we've got these cases. What are we going to do with them and how do we spin them up in the best possible way? Um, so we sort of flipped that on its head and said, well, hold on a minute. What work wins in the first place? What, if you look at winning work, are there consistent ingredients that are there consistently? And if so, if they uh, can we create a framework around that so that we're actually designing for those ingredients rather than have work happen sort of as a fluke or accidentally or every now and then? So that's what we did. We interrogated hundreds and ultimately thousands of cases looking for and interviewing people about why, what made this successful, how did you do this? And we ended up with, you know, 10 ingredients, not 10 for any particular reason. It's just the way it landed. And we built those into a design framework that was also an evaluation framework. And that's, that's really what we built uh, the global product community against, um, that framework. And that's how we then started to train people and create work um, all the way from, you know, the very genesis of how you go out and get interesting projects and, and help clients be brave enough to make great work all the way through to then, you know, once it's been successful, how do you tell the story well? And how do you know at the beginning that you're going to be telling the story? So collect the materials, collect the assets you're going to need to be able to tell that story effectively at the end of the process. And I seem to remember off the top of my head, and I might be testing you here, is that some of the, those, those 10 things were things like, you know, great content, building communities, conversations, you know, there was a you know, a place. Were, and and so it was, well, it was all about um, the humanity of it and is there a real human connection and an understanding of the human dynamic. There was something around, well, have you really understood what needed to be done? You know, was the, was the, was the brief or the challenge really clearly articulated and did you close the loop? Was that challenge met and by how much and or how much more than what was originally intended? It's incredible how much work does not finish where it started and actually close the loop on the on what they were there to do in the first place. Uh, uh, you know, look, there were others. There's um, and, and it changed and it evolved as, as we kept evaluating work, we would iterate it. The world changed and things became more programmatic and agile and nimble and started to talk about precision marketing and all those other things. So the framework kept evolving because the work and the way it was done kept evolving. But at the centre was always amazing work that people connected with that drove great results, had to have results, otherwise what's the point? Absolutely. And I guess you you probably moving into your eye for judging, I suppose, here, you would have that lens using that framework in mind, I suppose. Are those elements or anything else is important for you when looking at a winning entry? What, what, what else stands out? When you're responsible for creating the work and inspiring people to do it, it's always interesting when you judge because... On the one hand, I'm a really hard marker because I see so much work or had seen so much work um, and therefore had a good sort of, I developed that muscle so I could evaluate work super quickly because I did so much of it. On the other hand, I really had heart for how hard it was to come up with really amazing ideas and amazing work. So, you know, sometimes I found myself being um, not soft on an entry, but I really wanted to elevate it and I wanted to do well because I knew how difficult it must have been to have gotten that 
even if they had failed to really tell the story as well as they could or the results weren't as great as what maybe they were hoping. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging being a judge and juror and creator all at the same time. But I, I would say there's some, for me as a judge, what do I look for in a winning entry? To answer that question is I, I want to feel something. Like I want some sort of tingle or a connection with the work that just cuts through because you're judging so much volume and lots of it is super boring. Like it's just repetitive and dull and they haven't put the effort in. So you want to, you know, look at a case and go, oh, hold on a minute. You know, there's a tingle. There's some sort of emotional connection. And then you want to go, well, God, I wish I'd done that. That's really clever or interesting. And, you know, I want to go and tell my team about that because that's so cool. And then, you know, for me, it has to have this, the humanity I just talked about and the, this understanding of emotional dynamics and people at the centre of it and some sort of new way of looking at things or thinking about people is key. Of course, you want something new or different or an interesting new take on something. Often something that's been done 100 times is just done in a slightly new way. And, you know, lastly, it's got, to, it's got to deliver results. And the other thing I would say just in closing is you'd be amazed how many people do not really write entries against the category or the criteria that they've entered for, or they'll submit the same, you know, body copy for 10 awards and not bother, um, you know, iterating it or focusing on the, the, the bits that specific awards are really looking for. And you can see that a mile away and it's just... It's lazy and, and you end up marking work down for it. I guess it's that spray and pray attitude that, that, that does tend to happen in awards, right? Yeah, and in some of these people, they're doing it in between 20 other jobs they need to do. They're not dedicated award writers. Um, no one's trained them how to do it. You know, they're sort of just expected to enter 20 awards into Khan or whatever it is that you're doing. And, and, you know, it's hard. It's hard. You need, like everything, you need to train for it and become good at it. And when you touched upon the rigor, I just wanted to maybe ask, does your lens or your rigor change when it comes to judging a Grand Prix? Do you, what, what else do you give it then when you're going, this is, this is the best of the best, and I suppose as a judging panel, your name is on that Grand Prix, I suppose. So what, what extra do you look for with the Grand Prix? Um, it will depend, and it has changed, depending on the category, the year, and the festival. So, for example, when I judge, you know, it can or can't, however you want to pronounce it. It's really the chair's criteria, chair's call as to what other specific elements we're looking to call out this year. You know, what's the message we as a jury want to take to our community? Um, so it can change depending on what's going on and, and, you know, how the sort of jury are feeling about the world and the way the world's going. But I would say at an overall level, irrespective of the year in the awards category, to be gold or a Grand Prix, you've, you've really got to go, I, I, I have to take that back to the team and I have to share it with them immediately. Like there's something so interesting and inspiring here that, that inspires me and my people to do better and to be better. And I want to share that. So that's and what I'm looking for. It's also, you know, you really want some creativity there and you really want to be showing people that look at this. Look at how this happened. There are all these reasons why this work shouldn't have gotten approved, shouldn't have happened, never have been created in the first place. But somehow they overcame all of that, came up with this really interesting, human and innovative way to do that. How did they do that? We could do this. Can't we do this? So that's sort of, that's sort of what I'm looking for. And when it came to numerics, like we had a whole judging scale out of, um, out of 10 um, in our network. And 
and a Grand Prix was a nine or a ten. Like, well, gold was a, an eight. A Grand Prix had to be a nine or a ten, and we would evaluate our work against that scale. And a seven was a was a, a shortlist in, in a global festival, and, and so people got used to well, what's the difference between a shortlist and a silver and a gold and a Grand Prix? Um, and the more you judge, the more you sort of get a feel for it. So thinking about your judging, and for those listening that that haven't been a judge, can you take us into the room? Can you can you describe what it's like? It sounds very glamorous. You know, what is it really like, and what what is it like in, in the the dynamics and 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 feel we're sitting around that with your peers? Well, of course, it varies tremendously. But why don't I start with uh, the penultimate festival, if you like, for our industry, which is Khan? The it is glamorous, and the judges are fettered like they are some sort of rock star. You know, it's a it's a lovely thing to be able to do that and feel like you it might be someone important for a period of time, um, and to be sort of swooped around in cars and have dinners and do all that sort of stuff. However, that is the minority of what you actually do. The majority of what you do, it's five. Well, when I did it, it's five days in a dark room, depending on which room you get. No views, no windows, no nothing, and it is speed judging, and it is relentless, and it is hard, and it doesn't get very social and interactive until sort of day four. And it's boring because there's a lot of work and you've got to get through a lot of it um, and it's repetitive. So in the context of that environment, you really, you need to be able to tell your story quickly. You know, you will lose people in the first 10 to 15 seconds if it's not interesting from the get-go and you really need to cut through. And, and it's like that. It's not as long with other festivals, but the big the global festivals, the Lynxes and and um, spikes and festival of medias and whatever that I've judged all are multiple days and they all have sort of a boring shortlisting sort of phase before you get into the more interesting panel discussion. So it's tricky uh, because it's not glamorous. It is actually absolutely hard work. And the other thing that people don't talk about publicly is politics. So it happens less, far less in the local festivals, but at the global festivals there are often political agendas and networks that are, you know, angling to get their work recognised and to make sure they're the most awarded network and all that sort of stuff. So so often you need to be aware that that's sort of going on around you and people are doing deals sometimes in the background and playing games. Um, and that's, you know, obviously that's distressing, but unfortunately that's the way of the world. And, and I guess given uh, this last year, some awards have still continued and, and some obviously have been on pause. I'd imagine that the restrictions have meant that you couldn't probably physically get together. What, what, what has it been like judging on, say, Zoom? I assume that's what that's happening, right? It's certainly very different judging this year in the Zoom environment. You do have online judging as part of some of the festivals, but this year it's all multiple rooms across wherever they were working from uh, presenting to a judging panel that were also on their own, in their own respective workspaces. So you had, I don't know, up to... 15 people on a Brady Bunch type screen trying to communicate a, a story about the work, which was, it wasn't impossible, but it was certainly very difficult and different. I think even in that environment, the, the good work really did cut through and the, and the clear, inspiring stories did end up standing out. Do you think anything might, as hopefully we get out of this, do you think anything of the technology or the approach that, that, that has had to be adopted this year will, will, will stay now uh, and be part of the process going forward? I think it might. I mean, just I mean, some of these festivals are so big and expensive to run, um, and the entry fees have become so huge. Um, you know, it's a huge cost for agencies to commit to 
to doing all of this stuff, I can't help but think that things need to get more sensible and more efficient and more pared down. I can't help but think that global panels don't necessarily need to come together all the time. I mean, there is no alternative to the being in a room with people from around the world and the excitement of that and the stimulation of that is amazing. But I imagine that some festivals will end up doing a hybrid type thing and it won't go completely back to the way to the way it used to be. And, and one thing I wanted to touch on, I guess, in terms of what's developed over the years, and and, and I guess COVID has accelerated some of this, is that I, what I've seen is there's been a real wave of energy towards more long-term creative effectiveness. And and the marketing consultant, Peter Field of uh, Binet and Field um, at Khan, he was, he's, I read some comments that said that previously he'd been disappointed to see an ocean of disposable short-term ideas, saying many were nice, but felt they could have been a much bigger campaign. I guess, you know, why do you think sometimes in the past entries have got up or have won potentially when they've been more short-term? Do you think there's been a bias to the short-term sparkly idea to to now a wave towards the, the, the long-term uh, impact for clients? Look, I think judges want to be excited and inspired. And sometimes these smaller ideas that are just super interesting just tickle people's fancy and they go, yeah, that should be recognised because that was really difficult to come up with. But it really depends on the award and the criteria. Like if you're awarding campaign of the year and whatever it is, you know, most campaign effectiveness, you shouldn't be rewarding small tactical, you know, pieces of innovation. If you're in a category that is all around just pure innovation, well, then sure, why not? Uh, Why not recognise that sort of stuff? So I think it, it depends on the category. It depends on the criteria. Um, as well. But I would say that, you know, over time for a whole host of reasons, these big anthemic brand experience platforms that that are bigger and longer term have shrunk. I mean, there's less and less and less of them, absolutely, as you judge, and, and they're being created. And um, obviously the demise of big mass media and whatever has contributed to that and the, the race to personalisation and one-to-one communications and you know, performance market, everything has contributed to that as well. But I think it is true that big, long-term, inspiring platforms have become far less commonplace. Um, I mean, there's so few of them. You think about the work locally in the last year or two, like how many, how many what we would have called campaigns can people even remember anymore? I think they experience, they remember... Uh, individual customer experiences and things that are very personalised, but very few people can point to what's, oh, which one. Uh, you know, probably Uber Eats would be the most visible, obvious, scaled platform that we've seen out of this country for the last year or two. But there's not many like that that are sort of big, noticeable, and disruptive and interruptive and build the brand at the same time. You've clearly, obviously, judged quite a number of. Of, of award-winning pieces of work. What would you say if you were to think back now, you know, what would be the entry that really stood out for you that you kind of went, that was the one, that was the one that I loved or that was the one that stands out after everything you've read? Uh, do you know, it's like asking a father to pick which of his children are his favourites because there's, you know, I've been lucky enough to see so many great pieces of work over the years. I have... In thinking about this, I sort of think, well, what, without a computer, without looking back over files, without looking back at, without any prompted awareness, what just falls into my head out of nowhere? And for me, 
And these, uh, you know, only one of these three is work that our that our teams did. Um, for me, if I was to think about big anthemic stuff, I re- oh, the one I would pick would be the work for Prudential out of the US, which was called Day One, which Droga 5 did back in 2012. And I just remember when I saw that and judged that, it moved me considerably, even though I knew it was very narrated and, you know, the story arc was all in the videos and it was all beautifully produced. But the underlying work and the humanity in it, I remember to this day. And the reason I remember it is it was all around, um, well, obviously superannuation and, and sort of preparing for your retirement. And people genuinely don't want to think about that. And, you know, people think about retirement as death and it's the end of my life. And this one piece of work was really all around turning that on its head and going, well, hold on a minute, this is day one of the rest and hopefully the best part of your life and creating then stories about what people did and felt on their day one and then scaling that as a content-driven campaign back in 2012 was pretty pretty innovative and, you know, I remember it to this day and as I get closer and closer to retirement, you know, I'm trying to think about my own day one and trying to be inspired and, and positive about it. So that's that's the one I'd pick for Anthemic. If I think about cause marketing where people had absolutely no money and had to be really innovative, I would go to a campaign that Starcom did called Follow to Unfollow. It was the very, very beginning of Twitter and uh, it was our Puerto Rico office of all places. Um, so you never know where amazing thinking and ideas are going to come from. And it was a dumb, simple idea that was incredibly effective. It was all about how do you convince kids in Puerto Rico that drugs are not glamorous and that jail is not glamorous and you do not want to end up in jail. And the simple idea was, well, what if the inmates in these very unglamorous prison cells actually were allowed to be given Twitter accounts? And what if they could tweet about the misery of what real a real day in the life in prison was like. And amazingly, that's what happened. They managed to convince the Puerto Rican government to give three inmates Twitter accounts and tweet to the outside world every day. And um, it got a huge following and was hugely successful in convincing young kids that it wasn't glamorous and that's not a life they wanted for themselves. The last one, if I, the last one I pick out on packaged goods, because, you know, packaged goods is super hard to be creative on would be, um, back when I did Judge Khan, the Grand Prix was actually from Israel. It was for a detergent called Biomet from Procter & Gamble. And you go, how could that possibly win a Grand Prix? And the reason it did is because everything at that stage was digital everything, internet everything. It was all about online, online, online. Um, And this entry was trying to get to the Orthodox Jewish community who were not allowed to consume mass media and were almost impenetrable in terms of how do you get to them. And it was just a simple idea that relied on their charitable uh, nature um, about donating clothes to the poor, you know, literally driving a truck into these communities with a washing machine on the back of it and laundering the clothes that these people donated with biomat so that the clothes were clean and whatever when they were donated to the to the recipients of their charity. I mean, it's such a simple idea, but it managed to infiltrate and you know an impenetrable community that wasn't able to be registered with traditional media, and that's it was super powerful, and I still remember it to this day. There's some great campaigns, and I wonder with people listening to this if if any of those are on their list as well. I'm sure that they are. 
Um, I guess just as we start to wrap up, just a couple more questions. I guess you know, awards, I guess, have a bit of bad press over the last year. And, you know, from questioning of the entries, the sheer amount of awards there are out there, cost, you touched mm-hmm. upon the cost, the entries and the videos, agency groups yeah. pulling out of Khan, now COVID, um, you know, agency networks, as you said earlier, with the spray and pray approach that tends to dominate the volume of entries. So potentially smaller shops can't get in. If we're starting again, what would you say you would be thinking about changing or, or, or trying to make awards, I guess, more impactful today? Well, you know, awards have to be less about how people in the industry get promoted, poached, and their salaries increased, and more about the reason we got into the business in the first place, which is to make a difference and do great work and uh, and contribute to communities and humanity and commerce. What's happened is the industry has changed so much, but the award, rather than the awards reinventing themselves um, and transforming themselves, they're just, it's been like add on another bit, add on another bit, add on another bit. As channels have become, have been launched, uh, you know, digital channels, social, whatever, they just keep adding more stuff on. And that's not the way work's done anymore with silos of 500 different channels with the same work being entered over and over and over again into different channels. All needs to be paired back and go, hold on, consumers don't see it that way. It just needs to be brought back to sort of bigger sort of campaign categories and, you know, more around innovation, insight, results, less about the, the, the tiny little categories that have emerged to, to sort of recognise just about everything that can be monetized, so that these festivals can generate more volume of entries and generate more entry fees and more profits. So... Yeah, somewhere in the middle is hopefully a better answer. And the festivals themselves, like they've just become too big. Like you go to car, well, the last card I went to was you can't navigate it. It's too big. You can't see everything. You can't comprehend it all. You can't even catch up with the people you know, let, about, let alone new people. It all just needs to be paired back. Last last question just before we go, and for people listening who are coming into award season, potentially also writing their awards with lots of your thoughts in mind. What tip would you give an entrant who's writing an award entry right now? What, what, what th- one thing would you say to them is you've really got to hone in on this? Look, I, it's hard to say one thing. I, I, the first thing I'd say is if you are going to enter, put in the effort to do it justice because honestly there are no shortcuts to doing it well and you are, I think, far better off entering less but really focusing on the ones that you do enter so you do justice to them. I would say do not forget it's about storytelling not just filling in a template um so you do need to think about your narrative and your story arc and how you're going to tell that you do need to think about how on earth you are going to get cut through and get noticed from the first sentence on your page or beginning of your video or whatever it is that's the entry format and how you're going to make a judge in a dark lonely room notice you and care at all about you that's sort of the overarching advice I'd give. Fantastic advice there. And I think everyone will have such better shape entries for the season coming ahead. So again, thank you so much, John. It's been a a pleasure talking to you about um, your passion uh, and also my passion as well uh, around uh, great work. So thank you for listening. I hope you've taken away a number of tips or advice when creating your awards this year. I've left links in the description of the podcast of the campaigns that John has loved over the years. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a review, five stars, or share it with your friends. And finally, 
Good luck to all the entrants this year.